Okay, story lovers, I have a very special guest with me this week. Rania Savant is here with me. She has a very specific story that um, she shared with me. And I thought that um, a lot of us out there might be able to relate. Um, you know, this podcast is not about expert screenwriters. It's more about what it's like to really be a writer and the struggle of being a writer and admitting straight out, it's a struggle. It's a struggle every day. Um, even, even the most successful writers I know still struggle with, with writing. You know, it's never, it's never easy. So, um, so yeah, so Rania, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Uh, well, about me, uh, I have been a writer like most writers have been since a really young age. For me, it was really six years old. And that was predominantly writing songs because what six-year-old isn't singing, right? <laughs> and then it translated into poetry. But uh, around the time that my parents were getting a divorce, I was like a lot of kids I've come to realize from my generation, we were reading a lot during that mm. time. At least a lot of my friends were, you know, and we were reading just, I remember reading about three to four books a week, five books a week sometimes. Cause I was quite literally just so consumed by storytelling. And I realized uh, later on because I was actually looking at an article. It was uh, the New York times talking about why as a society, we are so fascinated, so addicted to, fiction storytelling and there's a whole psychology behind it and you know people's experiences and testimonies but for me during that time it was it was an escape yeah. it was an escape but it also helped me under, understand my world a little bit better um it was great you know and television shows I'll get into that later but it was great picking apart history sure and seeing what has happened in the past yes but not a lot of history books tell a story. They're just recounting history. Mm -hmm. There's something about storytelling that is very like innate in us. It is the telling of humanity more so than the telling of events. And I took that on at a very early age because I was trying to understand the humanity of my household, mm. primarily my mother and father, because I recognized something about our dynamic that just didn't fit. And it was quite different from the dynamics I saw around me with my friends mm -hmm. at school, even on television, while it was media projecting and portraying what society was like, but it was still this like specific idea of what a family was and what a father did for their children and mm -hmm. what a mother did for their children, how much support they put in. I didn't get that. I got the basics and I'm grateful for the basics. My parents made sure I was fed. My parents made sure I had a roof over my head. And part of my story is, yes, there were times I didn't have a roof over my head, but they tried their best to provide. So I definitely had parents that were present, but there was always issues in the household internally that made it hard for them to want to emotionally connect. Mm. And without that emotional connection, you're not going to get support for things that you intrinsically value, things that inspire you, mm -hmm. passions. And my father, he saw a lot in me. He saw I had a lot of talent. So that's why he would always try to make sure I kept busy because I always wanted to keep busy. So he'd take me to like rollerblading lessons, swim lessons. He had me playing tennis by the time I was in middle school, which is what allowed me to play tennis in high school my entire career. 
just uh, many different things just to like help a kid who like had a lot of talents but didn't know what to do with them and he mm-hmm. didn't want me to sit at home bored but when it came to writing funnily enough he wasn't as supportive mm. my mom was really never present she was always working 16 hours a day at most sometimes so I only ever really got to see my mom on the weekends for church on Saturdays and that was she was busy doing other things attending to the church folks and not really paying attention to what I was mentally and emotionally going through. So I resorted to writing to find some solace. But my mother and father, no, they were not thoroughly present during that period. And that is, I think, what allowed me to uh, just hole up in my room and write for hours. Mm -hmm. I remember there would be days, and I wrote by hand. (laughs) Um, I wasn't the typist. At the, I was a typist, but not for storytelling. When I needed to write a story, I was writing in my notebooks by hand with a mm-hmm. pencil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just churn out pages and pages. There was a day I wrote 100 pages one day because I was just so consumed by what was flowing through my brain. And story, and not like it, diary entries, but like narrative exact stories. Exact narrative stories. And one of the things that definitely helped me was I was, like I said, I was reading a lot. Reading definitely fuels the writing passion. At least for me, it did. Looking at different stories, thinking, oh, okay, that was really brilliant. But what if it went this way? Or, okay, this has inspired a new uh, idea in my head about how I could tell a story about a character that was like briefly mentioned in this book, but you know, I grabbed onto them real tight and I really liked their character. And I kind of want to like see where I could take that character if it was my story and doing something else. Like it was just a lot of ideas. Mm. But um my dad's lack of support, I didn't really see it tangibly until I got to college, until I got my acceptance letters, until they sent me the documents to choose my major. And when I put down creative writing, (laughs) okay. And my goal was to always be in the entertainment industry because I, like I said, I had many talents, one of them being music. So I grew up playing the piano, the drums, the trombone, many different instruments. And I wanted to specifically get into music theater at the time but they didn't have that major at the time at my school the one that I wanted to go to so I stuck with something that would allow me to still write and do something creatively so I was like okay I'm gonna do creative writing FSUs is one of the best in the program um, in the nation let's do this when I showed it to my dad because he had to sign off on some documents he saw it and he was like well you know no I don't, I don't think that's a, it's not going to give you money. It's not going to give you anything. It's just, it's, it's, it's a hobby. And I was like, uh, well, no, I think I could really make something of myself. I do believe in myself. I have a lot of talent. And the thing is, when you get to a point that no one believes in your writing, except you, <laughs> you have to have like a lot of confidence in yourself. And even if it's not really confidence, you have to have a lot of just belief. Mm-hmm. A lot of faith in what you could produce. Um, and I think that faith was honestly fueled by the fact that I just loved the idea of storytelling because I wanted to do for someone else what reading books did for me during one of the hardest times in my life. Mm. Having to deal with my parents' divorce, having to later on deal with homelessness and going between homes and trying to find a safe place because there was abuse in my life. There was a lot of trauma and we had to, 
it was a very transitionary period for more than five years. So yeah, I took it on from 13 to 18, finalizing 13 full books Mm. and being inspired to do something with those stories when I got to college. Mm -hmm. Um, 13 books of notebooks that you wrote through. Yep, exactly. 13. 13 of them. And I treasured those books. I kept them in a special bag. You know, I, I would sift through them every now and then just to figure out, okay, am I changing this part of the story? Or even when I needed to comfort myself, I would go to my, it ended up becoming a thing where I would go to my books instead of going to the books that I grew up reading mm-hmm. because I was just so involved in my own story. I was just so happy about it. Yeah. Um. So having to face a man that I already, we didn't have a, we didn't have a good relationship. Um, like I said, it was very basic in what the dynamic was, which was I receive what you provide, I what you teach me, and that was it. So he didn't know about what emotionally went on with me, be mm-hmm. it my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, mm-hmm. the boys that I was dating, even down to like friends. So when I was finally faced with having a conversation with my dad about my feelings that day. When I checked off creating ri- creative writing as a major, that was one of the first honest to God conversations he and I had about what I really wanted in life. Because for him, coming from a third world country, he was an accounting professor, and that's how he met my mother because she was in his accounting class, and they both ended up becoming accountants. Mm-hmm. He came from a very very rough background in Haiti, where he had to pretty much take care of his own family at a very young age, with a family of 12 siblings and his mother. Yeah. So my dad is very pragmatic. He's very, uh, he's grounded in that way where he's thinking with the logic part of his brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say he doesn't have creative thoughts because I believe we all as human beings have creative thoughts, obviously, but he relied on his pragmatism and his realistic viewpoints of the world. For survival. For survival. I, I come to realize that later on. My dad had you know, accumulated a lot of trauma in a place that very similarly was a war zone. Mm -hmm. Because during the time that my dad was in Haiti, a uh, dictator by the name of Papa Doc was killing thousands upon thousands of Haitians, which is what allowed my parents to move to America. They sought political asylum because of what was happening. So my dad, he's His worldview is so different from mine. And it's not to say that I didn't go through my own trauma, but it is different. I grew up in a first world country. I grew up with a little bit more than he had. But by the end of the day, I wanted him to understand, like, while I don't know what you experience, I want you to understand that I have enough emotional maturity, especially at the age of 17, to try and sit down and talk to you about why I believe I could be an amazing novelist and why I think it would be so important as a Haitian American Mm -hmm. female. And at the time didn't know I was really queer. I didn't accept it, but now I do, but a queer Haitian American female novelist writing something for the masses, especially for the American public to digest. Right. And for it to be, you know, stories about my own experiences growing up. Because how many books do you see out there that focus on the storytelling of Haitian culture? Not a lot. And I wanted to be able to put that out there, even if it was just a few stories here and there. 
I wanted that to be a foundation for my storytelling. And I was trying to have him see that viewpoint, but he was just like, well, you know, no, because in this life you need something stable and what you will be stable in is uh, a career in finance, being a doctor or being a lawyer, because that brings you money in this country. That was his viewpoint. Right. And it made sense because where he came from, in order for you to even have a good life, you had to be one of those three, right? So when you come to America, you mean to tell me that one of those three that give you a pretty good life in Haiti gives you a great life here? Yes, I want that for my children. So I was just, at the time, didn't understand um, because I also didn't know him. These were things, these stories about his past were things I didn't know about until after college. And I had to pry it from my mother. And it helped me understand him better as a human being. So in order to appease him, I signed up for accounting. But I kept creative writing. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to double major in accounting and creative writing. And I'm going (laughs) to make it work. And I don't know what the future is going to look like with two of those majors, but it's going to happen. And when I got through, I was actually doing really well. I was getting straight A's every semester. Um, I pushed myself to apply to study abroad because that would have been my first, aside from being in Haiti when I was an infant, that would have been my first time abroad too. And I also needed some very much needed space for my dad. (laughs) Uh, I was like, I need to grow up. I need to be independent. So when I went to London, he was not at all pleased. Once Mm -hmm. again, he wanted to kind of control the trajectory of my life and keep me as secure as possible. But most of my classes pulled from the literature uh, side of the coursework in London. So I was doing like Shakespeare and women in lit and things like that, because like I said, love stories. And I just wanted to study them. When I went to London, I told my dad to hold on to my books, the 13 books I'd written because I needed some place to store them. And I specifically told him, I was like, do not throw this bag away. Don't. Okay. I, everything that I give you, I don't need you to throw away because my dad has a tendency to throw away things he believes aren't valuable. Like I said, he didn't, he saw my hobbies and my talents as just extracurricular activities. He didn't see them as things that I actually wanted uh, to use to create a career and a life. So you come back from London. Mm hmm come back from London. He picks me up from the airport. I'm all good and ready to go back to Tallahassee to start school again. And as I am gathering my things from him that I left with him before I went to London, I find that the bag that I'm looking for is not there. So I ask him, dad, hey, you know, there was a bag full of 13 notebooks that I told you to watch out for me. And I explained, described the bag to him and everything. And I was like, what happened to this bag? And he was like, oh, uh, oh, yeah, that bag, you know, I threw it away. Oh, my God. I threw it away. Oh, my God. And I was like, what? (laughs) You're kidding, right? You threw it away maybe like somewhere in your room or (laughs) like I don't understand no I threw it away in the trash because you don't need that stuff you know and then you don't need it I was so shocked by what had happened because while it was about six years of writing in those 13 books it really was much longer than that it was when you're writing you're building up to moments of Mm -hmm. stories you end up writing years later like 
this was really since I was six years old, 13 years of writing. That, like I built up to this moment, cultivating my craft for writing to the point that, you know, when I was in high school, I was winning, you know, short story contests. I was putting things in our school's paper. I was the standardized test that require you to write. I would get the top score every time I loved writing. Yeah. I was good. <laughs> and I think that's actually what made me feel supported in the fact that I was good or made me believe that I was enough to try and right. do this on my own was... Right. I could see the validation from other people that weren't my parents or weren't my family that my writing was pretty good. Right. And so when you threw it away, I was so shocked. Um, I don't know. At the same time, too. So the first this happened my sophomore year in, high, in college, uh, my freshman year, a month in. Uh, two of my best friends passed away in a car crash. Oh, and I remember my that day, my dad, uh, he saw me walking around. He found out they passed. And like I said, he's very pragmatic, very realistic. He didn't want me to fall into a deep depression. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that came out of his mouth was, you know, I know this is really hard for you, but I'm going to need you to, uh, to not be emotional about this. Mm. So when I experienced that grief, there was definitely shock, right? When you find out some grievous news, a lot of times the shock is what rolls in first Mm -hmm. and everything is kind of like a blur around you or everything everything sounds like it's muted and Mm -hmm. all you can hear is just the inside of your head, right? Uh, That's what that felt like Mm -hmm. when my dad told me he threw away my stuff and I had nothing to say to him. I had nothing to say. Oh my gosh. So... When I went back to school that semester after I uh, studied abroad for three and a half months, I was still a creative writing and accounting major, but I just... Something died. Something died. Something really died. Like the creativity was blocked. I couldn't produce any new stuff because I kept thinking about my old stories. I kept thinking about what happened. I don't know. The inspiration just died. Mm -hmm. It just died. And along with it, I reserved myself to thinking, okay, well... Maybe my life is meant to be an accountant. Maybe I'm meant to be in business. Maybe I'm meant to whatever. Listen, I, you know how I feel about this story. The first time you told me the story, I almost fainted. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, well, let me, let me, let me say this. So I'm on Reddit. I'm on the Reddit screenwriting forum, right? The screenwriting subreddit, right? Right. I love the screenwriting subreddit. If anybody ever needs to know anything, you could just go right there. Exactly. Tons of answers. Everybody's helpful. And I see this, um, I see this message from someone who's looking for help with, with, with screenwriting and saying, and, and you said, um, you know, I'm really looking for a mentor. Yes. And I had um, just started my writing by structure business. So I messaged you and I said, oh, I, 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 I'm starting this business. I would love to help you if you want to join my Patreon, right? That's what the first thing, right? And right. So join Patreon. And then when, um, when we talked um, and you told me that, you told me that, and then you told me that you never wrote anything again. My heart broke and you said, yeah, but you know what? I don't think it had anything to do with that because, you know, if I, if I want I just can't write and I don't know why. I mean, yeah, that, that happened. Cause I said to you, well, what exactly. have you written? I said to you, what have you written? And you said, well, I had written all these stories that came pouring out of me and it was everything, but I haven't written anything since then. And I was like, yeah, because 
that's trauma. You are trying, you are traumatized in right. such a way that your heart won't open again because your own father said that your writing was garbage. Yes. Never, having never read it. And, 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 and what I wanted to talk about was, um, was the true, true trauma and, and damage we go through and, and the real block that can occur when you don't get the support that you need. And so, um, and so I was so, um, taken back by, by you not realizing that's you're totally blocked because of that pain that you felt. And right. of course you haven't written anything again. Of course you haven't, but I was so happy that, that you were, dipping your toes back in to say, Hey, I, I want to mentor. I want to, I want to get in, involved in screenwriting. And, um, and so here we are. And um, yeah. And so I'm super happy that, that, that you didn't give up on it because I also um, have spent time with you now as a writer and I'm totally fascinated by you as a writer. I mean, you came in with this story that, I mean, knocked me off my chair. I was like, you are, you, you are writing what? And I said, <laughs> Everybody stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's happening? I said, okay, well, Ronnie, this is going to be a novel, then it's going to be a screenplay, then it's going to be a mini series. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> exactly. And that's, you know, what's so funny is these are thoughts I have. It's weird. So once a writer, always a writer, I've come to realize that. Mm -hmm. Because even when you have a creative block, for me, my creative blocks are that an idea pops up. And it's at the window pane wanting to come inside the house. You know, mm. like you can see it, you want to bring it in, right. but it's cold outside. You don't want the draft <laughs> to come in. You don't know what they, you don't know if they even actually are worth coming inside. You just, you're looking at it with such like ambivalence. You're like, you're wondering, should I actually let this thought or idea come to fruition? Should mm -hmm. I actually do something with it? But how do I know it's not going to be crap? How do I know I'm... What if I hate it? Mm. What if this writing period with this thought or idea actually triggers more trauma? Um, and that's actually something that I was very afraid of because my writing is an emotional process because like most writers, I'm usually writing about an experience I've had or some a theme that resonates with an experience. So I'm utilizing a lot of things that I have went through and felt. For me, writing is this weird process of uh, shadow work mm. um, where I'm kind of peeling back the layers to get to the id of me. Mm. And I am looking at my subconscious without any bias. I'm really looking at it, the ugly, the beautiful, the whatever. Right now with all of this built up trauma and then trauma from other things in my life that continued to make me feel like I wasn't enough, which was what resonated in my head when it came to my writing and my dad, which was, it's not enough. It's not enough. I wasn't talented enough for my dad to think that I could be this phenomenal novelist or mm -hmm. this phenomenal screenwriter in America. It, that kept resonating 
throughout the rest of my life after he threw away my stuff, after I changed my major to accounting, after I failed out of accounting because I wasn't going to class because I was so depressed, after I had to switch over to finance just to save myself before graduating, just to get a degree. And then years after that, working in the field to see if I could even muster up the strength to do it and actually be successful, but falling short because I was not satisfied. Right. Like it, this, this theme of you are not enough kept playing in my head. So it really affected my writing to the point that even when I would have moments that I would write something or type something out, it was incomplete. Right. It never made it past, I think, a page or two. Yeah. It was just this portfolio of one page drafts, ideas that were at the window trying to come inside the house. But I'm just like, I've now slid the the window open a little, but now there's still a screen door. So like, you're still outside. <laughs> um, it was just, it was a series of that. And I reached a point where I was tired of it. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm only able to write a page or two, and even I, I need to complete a story. I need I need to remember that I was a really great writer. I still am. I need yeah. to be able to experience that again. So when an opportunity came to a local bookstore in Tallahassee where you can, as a writer, because they partnered up with FSU's creative writing program, as a writer in the area, a local writer, you can turn in a... Uh, short fiction story under 600 words. I was like, okay, well, that's what I've been writing for the past couple of years. So that shouldn't be hard. <laughs> um, let's turn in this 600 word short story. And I'd taken creative writing workshops specifically for stories like that. I, I'm trying to remember the term for them, the technical term for stories under a thousand words, but it's not short fiction. It's a very short, much shorter short fiction. Mm -hmm. So there are specific techniques you employ when Fla telling flash. stories. Flash. Thank yes, you. Flash. There are specific techniques you employ when telling flash fiction stories. So I applied, I, I turned in a story the first month I found out about it. Didn't get anything. Didn't get a, I didn't win. Second time, did not win. I was starting to get discouraged. I was yeah. just like, wow, I, my dad was right. <laughs> always going to go like, back to that. Um, yeah, my dad was right. Like my my work is trash, but there was this particular month where I was sick. I was very depressed. I was going through it and I needed weirdly enough to write in order to get out of my head and feel better. I didn't have a therapist at the time. I was actually living by myself that month. I was alone. And I was just like, the only thing that has always gotten me through really hard times mm -hmm. was writing. And here I am trying to write again. And while it's only 600 words, it's something. So I used my experience. I used my experience to churn out this story that ended up getting chosen Yay. that month. And I was just like, wow, okay. Like, okay, I think I got this. Let me, let me do it again. <laughs> Let's see what happens again. So the month following that turned out another 600 word story, got it again. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, I still got it. Okay. Um, I really want, I want this to be my career. I don't want to keep doing accounting. I don't, I don't get joy from it. Yes. I would still love to write books, but I want to be able to tell my stories on the screen too. It's something that I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. And while screenwriting is something I am so, 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 so new to, I am a complete novice. I was a novice writing stories too, when I was 13 years old yeah. and there's this blog I follow on Tumblr. It's a writing blog that says 
even bad writing is writing. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You got to put your ideas down somewhere because then when you go back to revisit it, a new idea might pop up. Mm -hmm. And another thing it said, that same blog, which is saying, you know, true writing is in the rewriting. Yes. You find your story when you rewrite it. And I was like, you know, these little blogs, while they might feel a little self-helpish, you know, it's fine (laughs) because I need some help. Okay. Um, All right, let's do this. So I started following all these blogs and I was just like, I'm going to get serious about this. Okay. How do I uh, start becoming a writer again? Oh, um, I am a, I am a student at heart. I love to learn new things. Um, so I thought, okay, let's try and go back to school maybe for this. You know, I already have my bachelor's. Let's see how realistic it could be to get my master's in screenwriting. So that's when I went ahead on Reddit to, and reached out to you and was just like, I need a mentor and I also need somebody to maybe help me figure out if I need to go into school for screenwriting and I don't know. And you called me up and you were just like, well, first things first, and I'm going to tell you this. Uh, why do you want to go to school? Hmm. Why do you want to go to school specifically for screenwriting? Like, what do you think you'll gain from it? And I told you, I was like, well, you know, the connections, the people, I, I thrive in a student teacher environment and I need to learn things. I need to understand how formatting works with screenwriting. I just, I need the knowledge before I can actually confidently try and write a screenplay. And you were just like, okay, all right, I hear you. Well, you can get all of that without having to go to school. And I was just like, <laughs> can I? <laughs> like, what? And you were like, let's just save you the money. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You had me at save me some money <laughs> because, yeah, this, this is getting quite hard. And I can't imagine taking on another student loan. So that's when I went through your Patreon and attended your workshops and, and your video sessions. And I was just like, okay, this is this is actually more of a comfortable setting than what I originally planned, which was let me go to school, sit in a classroom for this period of time and then take another class and then take another class. But, oh, now I'm paying thousands of dollars just to take that class when I could pay $20 a month to do this with somebody who's actually very personable with the writers she engages with, you know? And I just, I was very appreciative of the fact that when you started doing the workshops, the short film one with the one act play and then graduated to the screenplay, I was like, this is what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't like, oh, just one week, five day intensive study of the, uh, the art of screenwriting, it was eight weeks, 16 weeks. We're spending more than two hours on this. We're quite literally reading your material out loud in front of everybody. <laughs> like you need to get comfortable with this again. Like, And it reminded me of my creative writing class because that was actually one of the things I was just like, creative writing in high school is cute because you're at your desk and you're writing stuff down. And if you want to read your story, you can. But then when you do creative writing in college, it is peer related experience. You're not just writing at your desk. And if you want to share, you can share. It is, nope, you write at your desk, sure. But then when you're done, we're going to put it on the screen and we're going to dissect it as a class. And I was just like, (laughs) oh, okay. All right, I guess. But then you get comfortable with that because 
you are in a room full of people that care about writing as much as you do. Right. Never forget that or else they would not be taking this class. When I got to be in that element again, 10 years later with you, I will admit I was nervous because I kept thinking, oh my God, I'm a novice. What if my writing isn't enough? Kept thinking, okay, this feeling, this nervousness, this fear, it's because you love it so much. Yep. You know, Uh, you love it that much. Yep. Yep. I love it. I, 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 when, when you reminded me of that story, I was like, oh God, I told her not to go to school, didn't I? I forgot exactly what I said, but I knew I said not to go to school. <laughs> no, I'm so grateful. I am so grateful because honestly, I could not imagine with where I'm at in my life, I could not imagine having something as enormous as a master's program to have to deal with right now. Right. I found something that gave me that experience mm-hmm. without having it, it allowed flexibility that a master's program in screenwriting would not have allowed right uh, and that's I'm appreciative of it every day and I think what is also amazing so even after I took the screenplay workshop you did and I had to put myself on a little hiatus for a bit because life happens it right does. yes it does um I felt I felt resolved in knowing that I could always come back whenever you would host something again. Yep. Yep. Because that was comforting to have as well. But I know what is the most comforting is even though my dad still doesn't support my dream, you know, uh, if anything, my mom understands it now, but I wouldn't say she so much supports it. It's more like, okay, whatever will make you happy will make you happy. But it's not like, let me read your work or let me, um, tell me about your story things like that uh I have that with you and that is all I need for right now because I need at least one person to be able to tell me like who has the experience of writing stories Mm -hmm. to tell me okay you're going through this rough period in your life creatively and maybe just in general how can we try and separate two Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to learn that yeah. How do we separate the creative wants and desires from the personal stressors that kind of sometimes inhibit your ability to do the creative pursuits? How do you? And do you have the answer? Do you have it? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I dream about the answer every night <laughs> and then wake up realizing I don't have the answer. Um, but I have found that what you told me was make sure you write at least one hour a day. And sometimes it's really that simple. <laughs> it's true. Because you will be surprised what you write in that hour. And even if you write just one paragraph in that hour, okay, what came from that paragraph? Because then when I got introduced into the world that you built with your business, the actor's gym started coming into formation. Like, well, not it's always been there, but I'm saying like for me, right, right. I was starting to hear about it and I was like, the actors just what and it was nice to have that peer-to-peer experience because it was a peer that recommended I join right and when I sat and audited the uh class essentially the session twice I was just so enraptured with the fact that there were all these creatives so dedicated to spending three hours together via zoom three mm-hmm. hours together via zoom mm-hmm. to care about each other's work be it mm-hmm. the acting or the writing mm-hmm. and yeah. when I one of the writers slash actors uh, 
say that they were going to present something, but it wasn't like it was a complete story. It was actually just a stream of consciousness entry and it was beautiful, but Mm -hmm. it was stream of consciousness. There was actually no beginning, middle or end. It was just thoughts. And even then, once they finished reading their thoughts, the entire class, the members of the actor's gym were so invested in her thoughts. And I found that very cherishable. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is the actor's gym is a special place because um, it's, it was started by my dad 40 years ago. Now, some of the original members from 40 years ago are still there. Yes, yes. Certainly, certainly in the last 20 years, I feel like it's 20 years of the same recurring members of of people who still go now. And so everybody is rooting for each other. And not all workshops are like that. But um, when you're looking for workshops, you need to look for groups that are supportive, not divisive. There's a lot of workshops out there that say that we're here to push you. We're not going to coddle you. Okay, well, fine. Don't You don't have to coddle me, but you also, it's not about criticism. It's about constructively helping each other because we care about each other's work. And you can just feel the difference when you're in a room like that, for sure. Well, listen, um, I am your uh, cheerleader forever. I'm your cheerleader forever. <laughs> You're stuck with me. <laughs> I'm so glad you shared this experience because I know I know that there's a, a lot of people struggling out there, um, especially with parents as who don't understand. They are they don't get it. Yeah, so I'm glad that you shared it. And and anytime you want to come back and and talk about story or screenwriting or whatever, I'm always here. And I'm so happy that you joined me. Thank you. I'm happy you had me. Like it was, I was nervous doing this just because I once again was thinking, you know, is my story even worth telling? It is. And I, I, yeah. And I, I'm glad that I, I told it again because I don't tell people this part of me often. I kind of find the process of doing so uh, taxing because I'm thinking, well, my dad thought my stories were trash. So for me to talk about this with people, what if they think the same thing? Because not everyone gets it either. That's something you have to come to terms with as a writer. Not everybody's going to get it. No, no, no. People are going to sit here and wonder, why aren't you just working a nine to five? Why aren't you trying to create some stability for your family? Why aren't you trying to do something that is easier than creating stories and hoping somebody latches onto them to make it you know, have it be published, have it be produced, have it be whatever. Why are you holding on to these dreams? Mm. You know, especially as you get older, because it's a bit easier to wrap your head around when you're younger to start off doing something like that, 17, Mm -hmm. 16, whatever. But when you're about to hit 30, (laughs) you're thinking, okay, these people expect me to already have my life together. They expect my career to be set in stone. They expect me to currently be like maybe middle management. But here I am trying to find myself on a new career path where honestly, I'm very much entry level Mm -hmm. and about to hit 30. But I love it so much. I know. And some people just won't understand. So you have to really be secure in, you have to have faith in yourself is what it is. I need to have the same faith 13-year-old me had in herself. I know. Almost 30. So, yeah. Well, age, the the good thing is this, is that no one, when when people read novels, they have no idea how old the author is. So age doesn't matter. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you when you submit your screenplay to like the Nickel Fellowship, they have no idea how old you are. They don't they don't care at all how old you are. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and and people will say that's not true, ageism and all of that. But I want to just hammer home again that if you continue to work on your writing and you start writing really great screenplays. Your age is not going to matter. I just know it's not. If you have right. a great screenplay, if you if you if you commit to honing your craft, right, and just continuing right. to get better and understand cinematic language and understand how to tell stories for the screen and and work it and work it and work it, your age does not matter. Something else I want to say too that's harsh. It's harsh to say what I'm about to say, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, people who don't get it um, and are putting you down for not getting that nine to five are also people who are not, are unhappy that they had to make the decision to take a nine to five. And so, no. <laughs> and so <Right>. they <laughs> are angry at you that you don't see why they had to take a nine to five and why they're so happy, unhappy because they sacrificed their happiness to take a nine to five. Who are you to think that you can be happy? You're wrong for that because if you do what you want to do, then, then they didn't. Do you see? Yes. So always, yes. always take criticism like that lightly because it's two totally different worlds. It is two different. Yes. Worlds. Yes. And even those who are closest to me have that opinion. So it gets hard to uh, kind of separate that from who they are as a person for you because they love you so much. Of right. Course, of course. Um, well, some of them do, <laughs> but you think, okay, well, if you love me so much, why aren't you getting it? Like, okay. this is what I love to do. But when I was actually talking to my therapist about it, she brought to my attention that, you know, like you said, it's a two different worlds. They're not going to get it. So what they're thinking, especially is, also, let me try and protect you mm-hmm. as much as possible from your lofty dreams, because right now you're they they're thinking you're existing up here above your head, mm-hmm. and I need your foot on the ground. I need mm-hmm. your feet on the ground. I need mm-hmm. you to be grounded. You are searching for something that you might actually not get, because for them, there's security in certain jobs, and that's what my dad, my entire life, was trying to. I know. Show me by example, but you know, like you said, you got to hone your craft. You got to dedicate yourself. The difference between people that make it and those that don't are the ones that make it. They they dedicate themselves to trying to make it. Right. Even right. faced with rejection, upsetting days with their writing, whatever personal life issues, they dedicate themselves to trying to make it. Yep. So I'm trying to remember that for myself. Good, good. Will you check in with me anytime you want? And I'll I'll be cheering for you and saying, hey, are you writing? <laughs> what are you writing, Rania? 